I invite you to stand again as you are able for the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson is written in the fourth chapter of John, beginning at the first verse. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is the interior of a church in Jerusalem built on the Mount of Olives. It commemorates the agony of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane in reverent remembrance of Christ's anguished prayers at Gethsemane on the night before the crucifixion. The quiet interior is dimly lit and the vaulted ceilings are covered in mosaics representing a star-studded night sky. Let's go outside this church now to see what the exterior looks like. A large mosaic tops the triple arches of the facade. That mosaic pictures Christ in the center, flanked by groups of people reverently seeking his compassion and mercy. And then there's something special at the roof peak. Can you see what it is? Let me take you in for a closer view. A pair of bronze deer gaze upon the cross of Christ. Deer imagery frequently decorates churches through the ages, both on the interior and exterior. Now here's an example from Rome in an early Christian baptistry a building next to an old church which was specifically built for doing baptisms. 
The big bathtub-like structure on a pedestal is an elaborate baptismal font. It's quite a showpiece. On either side of it, beautiful bronze deer look like they've come to drink. Do you see the deer in the photo? Let me highlight it for you. So, why deer? We see them in churches around the world and through time. The reference with deer is to Psalm 42, which you just heard. It begins this way. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So the deer are in this place of baptism where water is so important. In baptism, God gives a great gift. His presence and the faith that gives us life. The waters of holy baptism are all about the living waters of God poured out on us in love. These words picture the feeling of desiring intimacy with God, truly needing to know him more. I'm drawn to the notion of that need being so great that my soul pants. The 42nd Psalm creates such a memorable word picture that dear in Christian art always remind us of our panting spiritual thirst to drink from the living water that our Lord provides. Throughout our Bibles, the idea of thirsting for the living water, thirsting for God, is a theme. We have a deep need, a real thirst to know God, to have a relationship with him. Only he can quench that thirst. In the gospel lesson for today, Jesus speaks of himself as the living water. Traveling from Judea to Galilee, he pauses at a well at midday. There he meets a Samaritan woman. Jesus speaks to her of the living water. And he says, he is the source of the spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what does living water mean? Living water is God. It's a term that's synonymous with God and describes his nature. Do you understand that the words of this Jewish man must seem arrogant in the extreme? to this Samaritan woman, he's making it clear. He's offering something special. He's offering God to her. He's telling her he can permanently quench her spiritual thirst for God. Now, that's quite a claim. A claim that could only have been made by the Messiah. These are words that had he not been Christ would have been blasphemous. This New Testament account speaks of spiritual thirst being quenched by the living water, and it echoes the terminology and concepts of the Old Testament. 
So let's return now to Psalm 42 with the beautiful deer imagery to explore those ideas in more detail. Here again are those first verses of Psalm 42. The deer represents the believer. The stream bed full of living water is God. The writer of the psalm is thirsty and knows it. He's clear the thirst is for the living water, the living God. He's not lost faith. He knows God is real. He still believes. But he's lost that feeling of intimacy with God. Still believing, he just doesn't feel God is near. There's an important point here. If you're not feeling a close relationship with the Almighty, if you feel like you're desperately seeking him, this is not a loss of faith. Faith is not just about warm, fuzzy feelings. Faith is that God-given essential of life lived in the knowledge of the Lord. Emotions come and go. Faith is the sturdy foundation, regardless of the feelings or emotions of a particular day. This feeling of separation from God comes to all believers. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. Longtime Christians know this as a part of their walk. New Christians may be devastated by it. They may feel they've lost their faith. The next thing I'm going to say is important. Frustrations, fear, anger, loneliness may cloud our vision and they may make us thirsty for God. But they do not obliterate faith. The psalmist is clear on this reality in the opening lines. So why does he feel this way? Look at what comes next. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Through his tears, the psalmist remembers what it used to be like to be filled with the living water when he shouted with joy and praise. Now he wishes he were feeling that way again. The problem is he's lost his connections. No more does he go with the other worshipers. He's not sharing in the worship experience, not singing and praising God, and not a part of the community of faith. Fellowship with other believers is important, too. It seems that all his life experiences have gone wrong. Others even taunt him with, where is your God? And that's a painful taunt, because he's wondering the same thing. Deep down, he's wondering where God is in this mess. Why would God let this happen to him? The fact is that both today and in biblical times, people are confused. They think belief in God should guarantee a perfect life. 
That's not the promise of the Bible. The promise is that God is with you in all the times of our life. Both the delightful ones and the horrific ones. God is always there. Seek him. The writer of Psalm 42 is off track. His hopes are misplaced and he mopes, confused. But he does remember the wonderful times when he was not thirsty, when he felt God working in his life. And that's a step in the right direction. What comes next? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist engages in some self-talk here. It's an internal conversation. You know, so often our self-talk skews to the negative. We drag ourselves down. But here the psalmist is his own motivational speaker. He provides both a diagnosis and a prescription for the problem. What's he counseling himself to do? Hope in God. Invest in the living water. The psalmist continues, and we're at verse 9 here. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Okay, this guy does go on a bit, but he's in a really bad place. Why have you forgotten me? He asked God. Of course, God hasn't forgotten him. This guy's all over the place. He's on an emotional seesaw. He's distraught, alone, suffering, seeking God. There's a lesson here for you and me, too. If you're in a thirsty place, Is it because you're focusing on the negative, isolating yourself, obsessing on the things of this world? Change your mind, literally. Talk to yourself. Refocus on God. Are you abandoned? Feeling alone? Fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus. Is the cross an image of a God who would abandon you? Of course not. The cross will remind you that you are held in his embrace, no matter the cost. He embraces you, even at your ugliest and most unlovable. The love of the Almighty is always there. If you're not feeling connected with that truth, it's time for some self examination. Pay attention to where you are and how that's making you thirsty. Change course. Join a Bible study and really invest the time in preparing the lessons. Rebuild your connections with other believers. Pray. And don't just send up your list of wants. Pray to the glory of God. That's what the psalmist does. 
he ends up glorifying God, drinking in the glory of the Almighty, and he tells himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what's the remedy for spiritual thirst? The living water of God. The psalmist decides to go back to praising the Lord, consciously lifting his face to God, drinking in the hope by standing in awe of God's glory. Our souls long for the presence of God. At the heart of our being, there's a place only God can fill. So many people try to fill that place with other things. The love of family, financial security, status in society, worldly pleasures. But those things can never satisfy the longing for God. People who invest in those other things for fulfillment will find themselves trying to shovel in more and more yet still feeling a dark, empty, parched hole. Because that's where God belongs, at the center of our being. So here we take another look at the deer on the church at Gethsemane. Remember, those thirsty deer represent us. If you're sitting in the front of the sanctuary and almost no one is because we're in the Lutheran church. (laughs) If you're sitting in the front of the sanctuary, you may be able to see an important detail. The mouths of the deer are open to drink. Rather than bending their heads down to drink from a stream, they raise their heads with mouths open. They drink deeply from the living water poured out from the cross, the living water of Christ, which satisfies spiritual thirst for eternity. Our spirits yearn for our Lord. He has made us for himself. And so we stand at the foot of the cross and look up. We find refreshment in the living water of his love. Let's pray. Thank you, gracious and generous Lord. In the dry wildernesses of our lives, in the days of heat and thirst when we begin to doubt your presence and grumble that your love is unreliable, you offer us living water. And we thank you and praise you, O Lord, that however we may thirst, whatever we may need to satisfy our souls, you offer it freely and abundantly in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.